This is episode 74 of the Rebel Matters podcast and it's a special episode first of all because it's coming out midweek and second of all because it is of particular relevance to the events that are unfolding in America as we speak. On Monday the 25th of May George Floyd was publicly and horrifically murdered by a cop and the subsequent video went viral and as news of his murder spread throughout the country, it has sparked off an uprising which is currently ongoing and protests have spread from city to city and further afield into other countries as well. There's a lot of information going around on social media and a lot of news stories coming in via the traditional media sources. But I wanted to speak to someone who was on the ground as such out there and I'm very grateful to Devin who set up this podcast with Ty Carpenter who is involved with an organisation called Don't Shoot Portland which has been providing essential services and representing the community that they are based in ever since they were formed in 2014 by Ty's mum. We talked a little bit about how Don't Shoot Portland came to be in existence in the first place. And this is a very important conversation to listen to. If you want to find out more about the political environment that led up to the murder of George Floyd and also many other black people in America at the hands of the police servicer, we talked about the important work that Don't Shoot Portland have been doing in the past and also right now as we speak because they're playing a crucial role in getting people out of jail and helping people who are being arrested and people who are going missing and helping to organise the protests that are ongoing on a daily basis now in America. We also addressed the issue of agitators going into the protests and turning them violent to try and undermine the movement. We also talked about different ways in which you can show your solidarity and your support to the movement that is Gathering Pace and that has the ultimate aim to take racism out of society, not only in America, but everywhere that it exists. The reason that this episode is coming out on a Wednesday evening as opposed to a Friday is I wanted to get get it out as soon as possible. So there's no reading at the end of the episode as there usually is, but we'll continue that on the next episode. And I just want to say a massive thank you to Devin who set this uh, connection with Ty up. A massive thank you to Ty who took the time out of her like really busy schedule at the minute to record this podcast. It's a hectic time for anybody who's involved in the protests and the movement over there right now. And also, as usual, a massive thank you to everyone who has been supporting the Rebel Matters podcast on Patreon. For anybody who wants to become a patron of the show, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash rebel matters where you can see the different tiers of support for the podcast and for anyone who is new to the show then you can hear all the rest of the episodes on rebelmatters.ie spotify youtube the podcast app itunes and anywhere else that podcasts usually live before we get stuck into the episode with Ty, I would like to add that what's happening in North America right now demands solidarity and support from anyone who is against racism and oppression. This 
conversation is a very important one to listen to and it's a very important one to be a part of but we're only going to see real change when people take real actions so it's essential that you don't just listen to this episode and then forget about it we have an overtly racist system of detention for people who come to ireland as asylum seekers in the system of direct provision and that needs to be taken down so listen to this conversation take it on board Show your support for what's happening in the movement against racism in North America in whatever way you can. And Ty talks about different ways in which you can do that. But it's also absolutely essential that you have a look around in your immediate environment and get your friends on board as well and figure out together what you can do to take down racism and oppression in your own locality. The brutal murder of George Floyd has sparked an uprising that's spreading all across America and in the other countries as well. And now there is a lot of momentum behind the anti-racist movement. So this is the time to take action and put your weight behind that momentum so that real change can come from what is an absolutely horrific situation. And last but not least, it's very important that we keep the friends and family of George Floyd in mind while you're listening to this episode and while you're deciding on what action that you would like to take to show your solidarity and support for this uprising, as well as the friends and families of the other people who have lost their lives since the civil unrest has kicked off. Once you've listened to this episode and if you've found it useful, then share it around on your social media account and send it to your friends because the more people that are involved in this conversation, the better and the more we'll talk about it and the more light that we shine on the systematic and violent racism that exists in every society today, then the sooner we can make it a thing of the past. Akarja Gale, enjoy this conversation with Ty Carpenter. Thanks very much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I know that it's a extraordinary time and a very busy time for you guys over there. Um, and I'm just really grateful to, as I was saying before we started recording, to, to be able to speak to you and get a, a more of a longer form perspective on what's happening there at the minute because there really is avalanche of information coming through the, the, the media at the minute and it's uh, kind of hard to get a grasp of exactly what's happening. Um, when I was thinking about, can you tell me a little bit about what kind of work that um, Don't Shoot PDX do there? Yeah, so Don't Shoot Portland was founded in 2016 uh, by my mom, actually, Teresa Rayford. Um, she is a very prominent Black Lives Matter protester here in Portland, Oregon. Um, it started after my cousin, he was 19 years old, and he was killed in gun violence in downtown Portland. Um, he was attending a music concert and got you know, stuck in the crossfire. And uh, my mom, when she wanted 
accountability for why, you know, and he was a straight A student. He was in all these after school programs. Um, and you see a lot of programs centering around youth, you know, if they're in marginalized neighborhoods or, you know, um, in communities that don't deserve, that don't get quite the access as others. You know, when he was involved in all these programs, these city-funded agencies, and when he was murdered, um, you know, everyone showed up for the eulogy, there were some tears, and then that was it. And my mom, that wasn't enough for her, so she started going to City Hall, she became more engaged, and she wanted to find out how Black kids were dying at such a high rate, and there was no investigation. We still don't know who murdered him. And she began to find out, as she dug more into the system, that it was more... um, agencies that were put in place to do these things, but they were actually making money off of the racial injustices that they were put in place to um, advocate for, you know what I mean? But they were taking the money instead. And I had no idea that there was um, a system of corruption like that before, you know, I kind of, I would see a nonprofit or an agency and be like, oh, I'm sure they're helping kids. You know, I'm sure they're helping the neighborhoods that they're in. Um, on the surface, it looks like that, but nonprofits and things like that, it's a very hard game to see where your money is going, who you're actually supporting, who are the people that are running the organization. Do their morals reflect yours? Are they part of the status quo and they are literally just capitalizing and exploiting or are they really there to help? And so the more that my mom did this work, <clears throat> she began to demand audits from our local government, which, you know, basically to just see... Um, their recommendations on the money they've been given and the results that we've had. It seemed like we were taking in more money for policing, um, having cops in schools, things like that, and kids were still dying. So it became a thing where she had to found the organization just so that we could have the resources in order to educate our public about, hey, Portland Public Schools, there's been lead in your school system for years the kids are sick. The teachers are sick. Um, there were reports that were being ignored about kids not even wanting to be in the building, Kid, um, student teachers not wanting to be in the building, and they were all ignored. You know. And once we founded the Don't Shoot Portland, we started being able to make changes like that happen and legislative change happen as well by going to the Capitol and sort of just advocating and standing on those issues and not letting down. Now it's evolved into, and that was more social justice work, um, once we began going out into the streets to protest, um, especially after 2016, when Donald Trump became president, we noticed there was a very big uptick in hate crimes. Um, this is why we became really resilient in our organizing because we wanted to make sure that we were leading the call for our movement. We weren't asking for other people to defend our lives or to lead protests or statements. You know, it needed to come from us. And in that same way, whenever you do take to the streets, you'll, I mean, there's people there that will hit you. There are people there that are saying, if I see those protesters, they better not get in front of my car because I will hit them. I'll drive them over, et cetera. And we've been threatened with harm. That's also where our biggest inflammation of art came in. Because once we started bringing um, young kids into our center, they, like in our community, it's a community for advocacy that we have. And we bring young kids in and teach them printmaking, uh, screen printing, um, all sorts of cool stuff. And once we do that, we take them to the streets with banners and signs that they've made. So it became our way of saying, you know, hey, we're sh- the children are showing their art. We're showing art. You can't control art. 
And we noticed the difference in reaction once we started implementing social justice art. It made people be like, oh, wow. Like, I was that person thinking this protester is ruining my day when really they're just trying to express something, you know, oppression. And we're trying to do it through non-direct violent, like non-violent direct action. So is Don't Shoot Portland kind of a a combination of like a lobbying group and an activist group and a kind of a community organization that does things for the community that it's based in? in Yes. Yes. We have a uh, legal resource clinic. So before COVID happened, um, we were holding eviction clinics, um, expungement clinics for cannabis convictions and things like that. And they were going very well. Um, the last clinic we had was for expungements and we had a line wrapped around the block. People were getting their records expunged that same day. Wow. It was, it was really amazing. <laughs> um, and now that COVID's happening, we've been doing them virtually on zoom, which you can understand is like kind of hard. And we have like up to a thousand people on it sometimes. So it's like, kind of crazy but it's awesome because we have the lawyers on the line and we have people that call in and then they can go direct with the lawyers so that it's private and yeah they're all pro bono for the services advocate for families with you know child abuse domestic abuse which has been a big thing during covid people being stuck at home the domestic abuse has just skyrocketed um and then most recently with this we've been paying for a lot of bail funds with protesters supplying medics to be on the street during the protests as well. Do you have a specific role within the organization at the minute? So I'm the director of communications, but with Teresa being my mom, um, and she is like, she's the face of it. People that first started following us, she was the one they saw on the streets. She's the one that's organized the biggest protests we've had in Portland. Um, You know, when we had not our president's day, which was the first protest that Portland had. Now Portland's like known as a protest city, but it wasn't like that. A few years ago is when it all really came up and uh, we were at the forefront of that. Is the organization based on, like, is it taking things from, from groups and stuff that came from the past or is it simply, is it like a servicing the needs that are there and not there now? Obviously it is like, but are you drawing things from like uh, others or like activists or revolutionary groups that, have, that, that came before? I wouldn't say, I mean, I know my mom was inspired by the Black Panthers because even though people, you know, of course they're going to say, you know, there's different ways of looking at, well, this group did this, this group did that. Black Panthers fed and clothed so many communities, registered so many people to vote, you know, and um, she's she's pretty much stayed on that focus as well as um, Martin Luther King's nonviolent direct action. Because we really do believe in, you know, disengaging, staying forward. And, you know, during these protests, that's a big problem. As you know, you have people that are not there for the, for the cause. So when you are organizing a protest, it's easy to let other voices kind of overcome yours, you know, unless you're really staying tight as a unit and actually organized, you know. And how, how does the group fund all, the, all your activities and stuff like that? Oh, it's like... From donations. Really? Wow. We're completely grassroots. Um, We are a 501c3, so we do uh, tax-deductible donations. But, yeah, it's completely community-funded. That's a whole other element of trying to keep things going above water whenever you're dependent on on donations and people to come and get on board. Yeah, we don't rely on any large 
you know, any large interests because we don't want, like, we are the only ones that run Don't Shoot Portland, mm-hmm. our black led women, you know, and we don't, we don't want, like, it's, it's so much to explain, but like I was saying with nonprofits and how they can seem as if they're going to help, but it's actually a like a red flag that you should look at when you see a nonprofit pop up or even some of the big ones that are still around that people don't really know are actually not good. And they get a lot of money because people don't know about smaller organizations doing the work, you know? So I think we are really just focused on trying to be in our communities and like be present so that there's no other interference, you know? Like to kind of try and keep it as transparent as possible. Absolutely. And like the, like the unfortunate kind of events that led us to be, to be talking today um, have like kicked off, like some it's like an uprising uh across america and george floyd's murder like it's not an isolated incident uh, and it just happens to be the thing that has set it off now yeah. but what has it been like in the last number of years and you mentioned donald trump coming to office i don't know if that if that's kind of like a watershed moment or kind of a, a that things have changed since then but what what has the environment been like for you and um like your friends and family living there um, I would definitely say, and it's crazy because I, when I told my mom this, she was kind of like, you know, surprised, but, um, I definitely have dealt with racism my entire life. You know, it's not every single day, even when I didn't recognize it, you know? Um, but I really was living in privilege up until, up until a few months, like a few, when Donald Trump became president, I still was living in this privileged world of thinking that I didn't have to be political. And thinking that, you know, well, I don't want to, you know, get into this and, oh, well, you know, the government, there's nothing I can do anyway. You know, they're going to, you know, Trump's going to do this or I can vote for whoever I want, but it doesn't matter. And I had this sort of like pessimistic attitude and outlook. And I realized that that in itself was privilege. And I had no idea, you know, we talk about white privilege and things like that, but a lot of us are simply by trying to ignore the matter or pretend it doesn't have anything to do with us it's making it worse. You know, this is all very intersectional. And I think the more that we're able to acknowledge that it's going to be hard. Like life has definitely been an eye opener for me since feeling like that, since realizing like, Oh wow, I am political. Everything is political. I have to do something. So, you know, it's tough. Um, every day is just sort of a roller coaster. And especially with what's going on now, it's like this one incident sparked you know a global uprising at this point i've been seeing in berlin and london and i mean i think it's incredibly inspiring and beautiful that we've got this momentum and i really hope that it doesn't slow down because you know you can agree with the riots and the looting or you know disagree but stonewall you know the la riots the door rebellion the stamps riot, tea party, like riots have happened and there's been revolution that follows directly behind it. So these times right now are just like, I'm seeing so many people jump in and get engaged. Mostly I'm just proud of my friends who, you know, usually in a scroll culture, we don't want to post things that might take away from what our friends on the other side of the screen might think. I don't know. (laughs) But I'm really proud of all my friends because people have been speaking out and like our news feeds aren't going back to normal. And I am 
really proud and like overwhelmed with that right now. Most people probably heard um, of George Floyd's murder or seen it through social media channels. And when the kind of the several videos were going viral, how did things kick off over there in terms of protests and the, rea- the reaction to that? Hmm. So I know when the videos first started circulating, um, I mean, because we had before this, it was um, Ahmaud Arbery and he was a black man in Georgia who was murdered, um, taking a jog in his neighborhood mm. by two white supremacists. And that was filmed as well. That video started being followed, you know, shared and shared. The hashtags followed. Then it was a little silence. And then when this happened, it just became like a complete uproar. And I started realizing, um, you know, I'm still practicing social distancing. I'm quarantining. Um, I have not been at any protests. So what Don't Shoot Portland has been doing is we compiled a mutual aid spreadsheet of resources so that even though we're not there physically, we can do that. And we had an online rally. But aside from that, we are still seeing like when I do go out in the real world, it's changed. Like there is so much, um, you know, George Floyd and I can't breathe and, you know, stores covered in graffiti. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Is there a sense of revolution in the air at the minute or what's the what's the atmosphere over there? I mean, I don't really go outside here. It's hard. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like every time I go outside, I'm like face mask on. I'm like forcing the dog to, you know, get her poops on and then I'm out. You know, I'm like, okay, let's let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Um, But like I said, just the other day when I started seeing I went outside and I saw that all the graffiti and I could there was something in the air. Like it just Mm -hmm. felt, felt really still. I seen a video the other day with it's at what seemed like a white person that had a mask on and that was carrying an umbrella was smashing windows in the like a store or something like that. And is there a sense that there's possibly uh, people infiltrating the protest to try and turn them violent on purpose? Absolutely, and you know, there's like that's been happening for so long. And um, I've actually I'm proud of myself because usually I don't use Facebook. It's just platform for like all my old friends and family and somehow my friend's family is on there, you know? So I try to keep it like rainbows and clouds because Facebook is very combative, you know? And um, when I started seeing it shared and whatnot, I went on there and I was like, Hey everyone, like we're sharing these videos and it's kind of like snuff at this point. Like, are we going to do something? Are we going to normalize the fact that we can watch a murder anytime we want online? And um, yeah, I started noticing (laughs) a big reaction after I said something like that. Where do you think that things are going at the minute in terms of the movement that's gathering pace all over America? And as you said, it's kind of spreading to other countries around Europe and whatnot. Where, what direction is the movement going in at the minute, in your opinion? Um, I think this momentum is like unreal. This is a global uprising. And I just really hope that we can continue with this. And then whenever, whenever, um, everyone is kind of, you know, done being on the front, like it's a lot of adrenaline right now. So people are going to get tired. It's emotionally taxing and draining. It's traumatizing as well. We are, some people are voluntarily jumping into this cause and they don't realize they're introducing themselves to new trauma, you know? Mm. Um, so I hope that we can keep this momentum going. I know some people are probably going to drop out, but I honestly think that this is, 
this is the catalyst for change on top of COVID and, you know, people losing their jobs. And some people have never hit rock bottom in their lives. And this is sort of their closest version to that. So I think that combined with what's going on is people are just, we're ready for something new. We want to see change in our lifetimes, you know? Why do you think that racism is so prevalent in American society and especially with forces of the authority like the police service and stuff like that? So in my Facebook banters and stuff, I've been like trying to educate folks with links because they, you know, they're like, I want to see the proof in the pudding, you know? I'm like, okay, fine. You know, Um, I started researching how the U.S. got its police force and they were pretty much slave patrol cars, you know, like they would capture runaway slaves and property. And that hasn't really changed today. I believe that America was founded on, you know, it was designed by racist white men and um, it's working exactly as it was intended to. And I think people are starting to realize that it's a lot of like unlearning for us. You know, it's a pyramid of white supremacy that we've been dealing with every day. And I think America is just now starting to wake up. And that's why race is more prevalent is because people are starting to be like, wow, this really does affect me. I didn't realize that, you know, tokenism was a thing. Or saying I'm not political was a thing. I was a part of that group that was, you know, making this worse by saying, oh, I'm not political, you know. And when I looked back and I realized, like, you know, I was one of the only black girls in groups of, you know, my friends, which was fine. My friends weren't racist. They didn't treat me any certain way, you know. But when I looked back, I realized, am I going to have a black daughter? And she's only she's not going to grow up having any friends that look like her. She's not going to grow up looking at television, seeing girls that look like her either. I mean, actually, we're, we're doing really well. So I'm excited for that. But you know what I mean? Like to even have that thought of like, oh, I'm going to have to explain to my child, hey, this is what a racist is. This is what a Nazi is. This is what oppression is. This is what Donald Trump does. Yes, he's our president, you know, and just the thought of having those conversations. I think it scares people. And I think we want to change that. Um, I just thought. Back on what you were saying, because um, I had branched off. I'm sorry, I like trail off. Um, but you had mentioned like the agitators at the protests in the video. Man, there are so many videos right now. There's a video of a guy. Um, actually, there's several videos of this. But in Dallas, there's someone who's filming. He's like, hey, we just saw a pallet of bricks being laid downtown in front of a giant glass building. Then there's similar videos in Denver, here in Portland, in Dallas. It's like there's some, you know, there's agent provocateur going on, you know. That has some similarities with the way that like the CIA brought in crack cocaine into a lot of the neighborhoods when the Black Panthers were at their at their peak. Exactly. Exactly. This isn't the first time that, you know, and this what that means is that this is working. They're trying all the tricks in the book to try to get people to fight or be like, well, you can protest all you want. But once you start looting things. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've had to like interrupt my scrolling and be like, I have time to educate. Let's go. You know, I'm like, let's please try to keep the focus. This is what they want is for people to kind of like fall off the cause and just think that it's a bunch of looting or whatever. Like, no, this is, this is some real change. That thing that you said, I mentioned about educating seems to be a really important part of the reason of the fact that social media is playing such an important part in it. And that's where a lot of people are getting their information from is through their feeds. And just even when I was scrolling through Instagram and Facebook earlier on, I would say more so now than 
after any of the other incidents of police brutality or murder that have come in the past, there seems to be more educational posts and things like that going around on social media now. Would that be right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's people trying to say, hey, this is not another hashtag. Like, please, like, let's educate ourselves. And I love that, you know, because it is very easy to not know how you can get involved or not know how you can change something. But we have been putting it like one of our big things in addition to like social justice and art. Um, we really believe in civic participation. We want to engage children and youth as soon as they're able, like learn that these people work for you. You know, like there's no reason that we should feel oppressed or intimidated by any sort of legal processes or systems. And I think the more we're able to educate folks, it's like, how could you not feel empowered to do something? You have all the tools. And people say that, you know, like Google it, learn something. We have the internet, but that's easy for you to say. But if you don't know where to start, all you are going to do is share and repost things. Like, you know, it's your only way of being able to say, I acknowledge you, but I don't know what to do. So yeah, there's a lot of education going on. I love it. It's so great. A big movement for change like that seems to be sort of have two sides where you're putting out educational materials and helping to bring people around to a better way of viewing things. And then on the other side, there's helping to bring people together to make institutional change. The system of prisons that you guys have out out there that sounds quite uh, similar to what you were saying earlier on about people profiting from institutional racism. That's a, it just seems like a, a massive, massive thing to have to try and change. Do you think that, that that's a system that can be changed and will be changed? Absolutely. And I think, like you said, like it's only starting small right now with like educating the more people, even if what I don't know, you know, we all none of us know what's going to happen with how things have been going. They've been getting exponentially worse and, you know, the country's on fire right now. Um, we still have people on the ground. But Regardless of that, I think we're going to continue to educate and learn. And yeah, that's going to change. The school to prison pipeline is, it's unreal, you know, and I think COVID-19 really illuminated that as well. The fact that they were telling people, you know, social distance and you can't in a prison. And there were videos being um, taken within the prison of the conditions. Those went viral here in America and there started being some sort of changes, but that is a very big focus is prison abolition. What are the other big changes that, that need to happen in society to make it a more just place for people to live in? Oh man, there's so much like, I mean, our main focus is right now here in Portland. Um, like I told you, we were driving the lead out of schools because Portland was the city of Portland's water supply was poisoned. It gets poisoned quite often. We have very bad water. Um, our graduation rates are some, it's like ranked number 50 in the country. And we've got to continue educating. We have to continue real outreach in the neighborhoods of the children that need it. Not just these programs where we don't know what they're learning or if they're going to be protected. We need to make sure that we're actually equipping our communities with what they need. That's all I can say. Like what I try to do is I, I, I told my friend this the other day, she was like, how do you do this? Like, cause I want to try and be better and I want to work. And I know you've been doing this work. What can I do? And she's like, I feel like what I'm doing is not enough. And I'm like, honestly, all you can do is try to change one mind at a time. And that is such an overwhelming thought. It's like, Oh my God, one mind at a time. Can we speed this up? But <laughs> that's, 
you know, that's the best advice I can give is just like being able to engage directly and educate and, you know, get involved in the political process. I think we can really make change. Like, I think it's, it's real. I mean, we've got to burn down the patriarchy. We have to dismantle all of these things in order to create sustainable social change for everyone. And like I said earlier, this is intersectional. You have to care about the things that you don't think affect you. Because once you do stand up for it, like that's what makes us all stronger. That's where the real change happens. When we move as a unit, like that is what is going to make change, not with division. And that's why the media is trying to be so, you know, confusing right now because we've got cops in some cities, you know, kneeling now after all weekend and, you know, hundreds of protests. We've seen them tear gassing people. We've seen them throwing rubber bullets before protesters even get violent. And that's what starts the riots our cops starting to tear gas and rubber bullets. But now we're starting to see in the last couple of days, I've only seen it. Um, officers kneeling, kneeling down as if, please, you know, like, don't. It's like, I, I will never forget the eight minutes and 46 seconds that that officer kneeled on George Floyd's neck. How about that? And that's another tactic of white supremacy, if you tell me. And I don't think I'm reaching. I think that that's bullshit. And for them to be in our faces trying to kneel as if like, Let's just all stop. Not all cops are bad. Like, I'm sorry. You can be a good person and try to be in law enforcement thinking you're going to make change, but you cannot make good in a system that was created to destroy and oppress black and brown lives. You know what I mean? The police service needs to change drastically or uh, be abolished and restarted or something like that. Do you think that as this thing gathers pace, is it possible that the, the energy of the whole movement at the minute can be directed at impacting such a big change in American society? Absolutely. I don't think we need police reform. I think we need the abolition of, of police. We need to figure out something, something better. You know, like this is just, you know, I think it's going to change though, because if anyone gets anything out of this, we're realizing that the police force started in a way that wasn't even for the benefit of us all. It was built to protect the status quo as many things in America were. So I think now that people are starting to be educated and engaged, we can really start to dismantle it. I do believe that because once you're woken up to the truth, like ignorance is bliss. You can't tell me once you find out how evil the roots of what you know are, you can't go back and change that, you know, Mm. hard to be dismissive once you have the tools to be great. And how are things being reported in the media out there? Uh, or, do you feel like they're being reported fairly or biased? Well, I um, actually don't have cable or anything. <laughs> um, I only have Netflix and Hulu. So uh, I watch Unicorn Riot for all of my um, frontline coverage. And if you haven't heard of them, they're, they're really great. They've been doing the work for a long time. Um, unbiased uh, media coverage by comrades, for comrades. Um, and I've been watching some streams there. I don't know what the media is reporting. It seems like the media is on, like, is telling the truth about like white supremacy groups being linked to certain, um, protests and political agitators and things like that. So, you know, I, you know, I see when people share shit on Facebook, but like I said, I try to keep scrolling on Facebook and I just try to engage with people because there's too many of my best friend from high school's racist grandpa that likes to, you know, go on rants. And I just, I can't delete everyone in one day, you know? So 
I scroll through and I do see people sharing things on the media that seem to have a variety. At least, like I don't see anything one-sided. You mentioned yesterday when, when we were just setting this podcast up that you were being the kind of point of contact for people who were being arrested during the, the protests and stuff like that. Is that something that you're able to talk about a little bit? We were always paying for funeral costs for families, uh, victims of gun violence. We're always sending money for aid for families, protesters, um, people that are wrongfully detained by ICE, things like that. So we're always giving money to sources like that. But once these, once um, the uprising started, it was like left and right people being thrown in jail. And we were, my mom, like I said, she's the face of don't shoot. Until recently, um, I moved back to Portland. I was living in Denver for a while. I moved back to Portland in August to sort of take over and alleviate some of it because she had been on the front lines for so long. And um, But people still, as soon as anything happens, my mom's phone will ring at 5 a.m. It'll ring at 2 a.m. It'll ring at midnight. Families crying if they've just lost their son. They don't know who to call. They don't have a lawyer. They know to call my mom. So she is like nonstop all hours of the night. Um, so I kind of, since I started taking that over, we have spent like $17,000 bailing people out in the last week. And that's not just in Portland. That's in Chicago, Minneapolis, Dallas, Phoenix, LA, San Diego, New York. That's literally not even the last week. That's like four or five days. And I'm like, I just took over the finances and stuff. I'm like, mom, listen, you've been doing this a long time. I can learn QuickBooks. I got this. And I'm just like, it's so much to go through. You know, like not only is it just nonstop people hitting me up on the the don't shoot site, hitting us up in our inboxes. And I'm also like in constant communication with our lawyer team, trying to get them in the right places. I mean, it's, it's a lot to keep up with, but I think it's beautiful because we are getting people, as soon as they're in jail, we're like on it you're out, you're out, bond's been posted, bam, bam, bam. We have people that are just like ready. Like our community is so tight and so down for whatever. We lost someone in Chicago last night, a 19-year-old whose last footage, he was um, spraying a water gun at the cops and they tackled him. So there's a video of him getting tackled by 10 cops and then dragged off. No one saw him. I posted on the Instagram, we found him, you know, like pretty much immediately, like a couple hours later, he had been in police, um, in police custody, but had never been booked. So his mother couldn't find him. She, everyone was calling, calling, calling. We started spreading the numbers. We found him. He wasn't in the jails, but we found him. Is there a sense of coming together there within the community because of all this that's happening? Absolutely. I mean, I've been speaking to like there's families and people around the country that I've become so close with that, you know, we will never meet. And they're, you know, like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And while I'm there with them and I am uh, present, there are 200 more people that are emailing and texting and calling me that are saying the same thing. And I have to be there for all of them. It's like very hard, you know, but um, I think. I think it's so important that people know that if, you know, if they do take this chance and they do speak up about what's happening to them, instead of being like, you know, well, nothing's going to change. There are people that are going to help them. Like we jump up and we're like, what do you need? How can we make it happen? We're going to make this happen. Yeah. Like, 
I love what we can do for community. It inspires me to just keep going, even if it is tragic, you know? That kind of brings me to a question that, that I've wanted to ask you about how people can best show solidarity with the movement and what's happening over there at the minute in other countries. Um, I've just been seeing online, like uh, in Berlin, they were marching the U.S. embassy in London, you know, they're peacefully protesting. And I just, um, like I said, I've only seen it online, but I think it's incredible how people have been reaching out, asking what they can do. And that's sort of why we created the spreadsheet is because people from all around the world were hitting us up on social media being like, Hey, like, you know, I see what's happening. I want to do something. I'm not even there though. And like, it doesn't matter if you're there, like that's perfect because you know, you can't physically go out and possibly get into, you know, a whole world of you know, like if you're home in the, in the safety of your home and you still want to help, that to me is very important. That's just as important as the people on the ground. And so when we made that resource sheet, there's um, bail funds, lawyers. When you go to a protest, you have to or you should call a number of uh, we use the National Lawyers Guild and we write down their phone numbers. We ask people to write them on their arms just in case they get arrested. Um, there are legal observers at most protests wearing neon green hats. That's how you can always find someone that can make sure you're, you know, they're there to witness what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just good to share these resources because um, it allows us to have better organizing with like a clear and direct action. You know, it's harder for agitators to join in and, you know, yeah. change up your chance. You know, we've had people where, you know, we are strictly peaceful and we'll have some people come up and, um, you know, like, Antifa are a group that, you know, they're anti-fascist and for the big majority, they are, um, you know, they're great. They um, are pretty hardcore. They don't mind running ahead of the protest to lay out roadblocks and they'll put their bodies in front of cars, you know, and I think that's great. But also I've seen some, you know, that kind of draws in another crowd of like just straight anarchy and those people will join the protest, but they're not leading it they'll join it and then once things kind of get to a point where they're agitated or they've been you know making eyes at a cop all day and once it starts getting darker that cop is going to retaliate because he's been seeing you all day he's getting kind of pissed off he knows once it gets dark he can get you you know and that's why we try to stay together we try to use peaceful chance but we've been disrupted when we're saying hands up don't shoot someone will come up you know all cops are bastards you immediately drown that out you know, you don't let that take over the entire crowd because once you do, it's a mob mentality. People start breaking stuff. People start getting violent with one another, you know? So it's, it's important that we have these tactics to be able to like really organize safely. So if somebody is sitting in the house thinking like, what can I do? How can I do something to help? Or how can I even make a positive contribution to the conversation in some way? And how can I best do that? Like what, can people do? Um, definitely donate to black-led organizations, minority-owned organizations that are doing work in their cities and their spaces uh, towards racial injustice. Like we, you know, the momentum here is crazy. We are um, doing well with donations and getting them out to our community, but you don't have to donate in America. You know, donate like I would love to know what's going on in Ireland with your politics and government. You know, and I'm sure there's uh, resources there too because it all starts where, where where with you are you know because that's part of the collective like we need to support 
the people that are doing the work, no matter where they are. If you know people that are in their communities, grassroots organizing, help them continue to do that. Help them continue to make legislative change. You know, it's so important that we have people that are able to articulate and get into those political processes and speak for us, you know. And specifically to Ireland, there has been an increase in visibility and I think support as well to the campaign to get rid of a system that we have that's called direct provision. And it's when people from other countries come to Ireland to seek asylum. It's just barely more than an internment camp where people are stuck in these centres for a very long time and kind of just put on indefinite pause and just left there for years. And it's a racist system. And if people are listening to this in Ireland, then to follow your advice and to become active in something that's local, then that's a very, I think, positive campaign to get behind to help end that system of direct provision. Y'all got to organize, get together and start, yeah, start organizing because that is, you can tear that shit down easy. Like I'm there with you. I want to learn more about it too, so that we can share on our end and make it, like I said, there's so much global attention right now. These issues aren't isolated. These are all of our issues. So, you know, I would like to learn more. How can people follow what you guys are doing? Don't shoot pdx.org. Our social medias are updated regularly. Um, Our website also, that's where all of our programming is. So we make our programming available online. Um, We will be doing another online rally against white supremacy, which basically um, I just kind of go on and I talk about our work, how we organize and... um, how we can make changes like directly without having to be in the protest because I, I don't really want to condone anyone going out right now. Like if you are, you know, go for it. But um, I do have immunocompromised loved ones. And so I'm choosing to stay self-quarantined, but I want people to still feel like they can learn and engage. And if you do decide to go out to a protest, I want them to be ready because there's certain things that you don't know until you actually organize with, real people you know like I was saying earlier when you know you need to chant over agitators you know like we'll say stay together stay tight and that means look around you because people are trying to separate us you know yeah so there's certain tactics I think are important for people because if you're going to go out and fight for our rights then we want you to be well prepared just as you mentioned your social media accounts and if people do want to get material that they can share. There's loads of stuff going up on the Don't Shoot Instagram page. I noticed that um, that people can share directly from there under their stories. But saying that you're not political and then just forgetting about it. But in actual yeah. fact, you can't go outside of the house without being political in reality. Because where you go shopping is political and how you get to work and where you work and all these things. Yes, exactly. And actually that... Um, we're recalling for people on our next online rally. Um, I was going to tell, like talk to people about this, um, about divesting and unfollowing, you know, like divestment is so important right now. And a lot of people don't think about that. They're like, well, you know, it's just, it's my social media life or I want to follow this account. And they, they post cool things. If you are being silent at all during this, during like our civil rights movement, like this is for all of us. Like, without Stonewall, LGBTQ rights would not be where they are today. Like, this is some real shit. 
excuse my, you know, and if you're not <laughs> speaking up, if you're not using your platform or your privilege or your voice in any matter, I don't care if you have one friend on Facebook, if I haven't seen you post about it, I'm going to hit you up and I'm going to be like, listen, we need to talk, you know, like, I think it's so important for us to, you know, divest and unfollow from people that are not using their platforms. Um, as a little game, I went last night on Instagram and I was like, I'm just going to look up any fashion profile. I'm just going to look, you know, whoever. So I type in forever 21, you know, and it, they're acting like rainbows and butterflies. I go to the last post and I click the comments and everyone's like, can y'all say something? My dollars want to know. <laughs> and then it's like going viral, like hundreds of people commenting back and forth. I thought I'll hear from forever 21. Y'all are losing me forever. You know, and then Forever 20 made a statement. We are so sorry and we stand in solidarity. And everyone's like, nope, you missed me. Delete, delete, delete. You know, it's like we really do need to demand that sort of action from the people that we give our money to. The point that you made just is like that even if people are sitting at home, there's still a, a really important and positive role that people can play. And that quote, if you're indifferent in cases of injustice, it means you're taking the side the side of the oppressor. I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to for us to to have a chat in the first place it was that so that people can see that they can make a difference by just speaking up and standing up in any way that they can, whatever shape that can take. I think that the important thing here for people if they're listening to this is this to realize that like now is the time when there's an uprising happening in America and mm-hmm. against police brutality and the institutional violence that's happening there. And now is the time to show solidarity for that movement. Absolutely. And that's also why people are, you know, defending, you know, they're like, this is why we're looting is because we're trying to, you know, get their attention. They obviously don't care when people peacefully protest. They obviously don't care when they kill unarmed people, but they do seem to care when you set shit on fire, you know? And, um, but yeah, I think that's very important. And also this is just making it like, this is the tip of the iceberg. We all have so much work to do. You know, like when it comes to unfollowing companies because they don't speak out against racial injustices, we need to stop use, like utilizing slave labor as well. We need to start being more eco-friendly. We need to stop with the fast fashion. We need to stop so many things. And this is just what's taking prevalence right now, you know? But we need to start really vetting who we give our money to and who we support with our dollars. And that's a lot. People are not going to be happy about, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't go to Forever 21. Oh, I can't, you know, get an iPhone. You know, I'm trying to unlearn this too. And it's hard, but we have to acknowledge it. We have to completely start to make changes towards divesting. This is just one small step. Eventually, we should all be growing our own food and, you know, just trying to be on our own level without the influence of like these big corporations that kind of, take advantage and you know which that goes straight back to the point that you were saying about you can't say i'm not political because if you're spending your money with someone who is unwilling to speak up against oppression or who's having a direct hand in it then that is very political yeah like that's the stance you're taking then you know yeah (laughs) you have to be political what do you think about where there's a black lives matter post and somebody posts underneath it all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, I've also seen some really good analogies for it too. It's like, if there are a row of houses on the street and only one is burning, you would say, this house is burning. 
and everyone's like, oh my gosh, I just, I, oh my, I never saw that. And I'm like, oh my God. So I just think sharing like graphics and infographics are important for that reason too, because it's really easy for people to just kind of like pick and choose what part of your statement they want to agree with, you know? And I think it's easier when you have one blanket statement on an image that can be easily shared that sort of explains why. Like people need it to be broken down. I don't know why. You know, it's like people are literally, why people are literally saying stop killing us. And we're like, well, if he hadn't been, or that target, you know, I'm like, like think beyond the bigger, like please look into this, you know, like I think people are waking up, but it's still going to take some time for people to really, you know, all lives matter. It's like, you think I'm really saying like <laughs> all lives don't? I don't understand people that actually think that. When you say black lives matter, it doesn't mean that white lives don't matter. And I think it's crazy that people think that's what it means. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like what? How could we have a cause when we're trying to like hate on other races? That de- that defeats our purpose of what we're trying to do. But yeah, I suppose there's a certain element of kind of propaganda against the Black Lives Matter movement that goes that that feeds that narrative of like, oh yeah, look, this is the Black Lives Matter. Like they think that white lives don't matter, and then they put that out there, and then that to try and undermine the movement in a way. But I absolutely think it does. Yeah, but like I said, once people can sort of look beyond that and really see the meaning of the statement, I think it'll change mm-hmm. a lot of people's minds. And like I said, it's one mind at a time. It's so slow, but I think it's all we've got. <laughs> How do you balance ha- having this like massive job and undertaking and being in a struggle like this that's going to go on for a long time to come mm-hmm. and still look after yourself? So um, I really think it's the balance of people really showing solidarity and support. And it inspires me even when I'm like dealing with all of this trauma because it is, it's really hard and it is emotionally taxing, but I would say the, like the outcome is just so worth it and it's beautiful to make change. And of course, cannabis, because if I was not smoking weed every day, I don't know, (laughs) it really helps, you know, me put things into perspective and helps me take a deep breath and really think through, you know, my days and, put things in order because it can get so overwhelming for me. You know, when I, when I told you I'm getting calls about people being arrested, their kids not being found, um, people being murdered, not being able to pay for a funeral. Those things come up a lot, sometimes daily. And it is very hard, but when I'm able to meditate and use my medicine, like I'm, you know, I'm more of a vessel for change, you know? So yeah, I just, I meditate, I consume marijuana and I read good books and I just, you know, I try to love people and make change, really. Um, are you reading any, reading any good books at the minute? Yes, let's see. Um, I just finished a lot of Murakami. Um, I like him a lot and I'm reading James Baldwin right now just because I think he needs to be revisited a lot. And um, I don't know if you read James Baldwin, but I would suggest um, Another Country. It is a very good book. And um, it's a lot of intersectionality, race, uh, sex, love, poverty. Mm. And he's just like, he's amazing. He's got a really great writing style. So 
I recommend everyone, if you don't know what to do and you want to support somehow, please read some James Baldwin and you will find a world of perspective that you've been needing. I know that like a lot of people who will be listening to this will be very keen to like show and share their solidarity with you guys through the times that you're going through at the minute. And you've talked a bit about how people can do that if they want to do it online. Like also like just sending good vibes across. Thank you so much. To you guys. Yeah. And let's try to make this, you know, keep the universal momentum going. Like I think this is a really beautiful um, energy that we have right now. And if it's cultivated in the correct way, we can make constructive change. That's another really positive thing that's coming out of this very bad situation is the fact that there is a like worldwide conversation happening. Like we're talking now and many of other people are reaching out to each other and seeing the similarities in their respective struggles and actual fact probably realizing that in some ways it's the same struggle. It's important to have different um, perspectives and different people's voices, you know, not just the people that know how to speak or, you know what I mean? Like it just needs to be regular people having a conversation from different parts of the world over the same issues. And then we can be like, you know what? Oh my God, they're right. Why did I say I wasn't political? (laughs) So yeah, I'm just thankful that you, um, you know, that we were connected through Devin and we could make this happen because I think this is a very good conversation and I'm excited to share it with everyone too. And yeah, thank you so much.